I'm Alan Thorpe. And I'm David Rogers, and together we host The Weather Pod. In each episode, we invite a leading expert to help investigate how public, private and academic sectors can work together to produce weather information of value to business and society. Timely, accurate and focused weather information and related services have enormous value across all areas of human activity. It can increase the efficiency and profitability of business, help save lives and improve safety on land, at sea and in the air, and predict the spread of life-threatening diseases. Now, as climate change increases the frequency and impact of extreme weather events, weather information is crucial to build social and economic resilience. In the 17 episodes of the Weather Pod to date, some key themes have emerged, showing how and why the global weather enterprise could provide better and more useful products to support a growing number of everyday activities and to help address climate change. We've examined these themes in detail and four key issues stand out which must be addressed urgently if weather information and related services are to realise their full potential. Issue one is the pressing need for holistic thinking about the entire National Weather Services ecosystem. Issue two concerns the additional challenges faced by the weather services of developing countries compared to their developed world counterparts. Issue three is the future direction and development of weather-related science and technology. And finally, issue four is the need to address the challenges of climate change and decarbonisation. In this special video episode of the WeatherPod, we examine these four issues, their role in making weather information more relevant and useful, and how this might come about. first issue is the need for holistic thinking on national weather services ecosystems. In many of our episodes, we've discussed with our guests the evolving roles and responsibilities of national meteorological services. While Peter Lennox provided an insight into how a company-based governance structure enabled Met Service of New Zealand to thrive, Michael Staudinger explained the symbiotic relationship a national Met Service enjoys with private sector companies. Christoph Ramshorn, meanwhile, explained how public and private sector partnerships can be most effectively structured across the global weather enterprise. In all these discussions, collaboration was a recurring theme. Dave Parsons stressed the benefits of strong academic links with public and private weather service providers. Florence Rabier and Subaya gave European and South Asian perspectives on the huge value being created by regional collaboration between national public weather services. Such collaborative relationships are especially important for developing countries and were discussed with Jerry Lenguoza and Makoto Suwa, while Doug Parker and Marianne Diop-Kane offered a uniquely African perspective. We've also addressed the key role that national Met services have in building resilience, in particular to compound weather events and climate risks. And together with Faith Taylor and Nina Ridder, We examine this in the context of urban and poorer, less advantaged communities. So in terms of holistic thinking on on the National Weather Services ecosystem, David, I think 
one of the areas that a number of our guests touched on is is really the roles and responsibilities of national meteorological services and clearly that's evolving substantially at the moment because um, of uh, science and technology developments but also the fact that the private sector uh, capability has has increased substantially right through the value chain from you know one end being instrument developments to the to the other end being running global and regional numerical weather predictions and creating forecast data so for a national met service this changing landscape in which they're placed um, re really means that um, there are new challenges to, to be thought about. Yeah, I think um, in that context, there's also, there isn't, there's really an, a very big need to think um, quite, quite differently about what the public role is. And, I, and we're stuck in many parts of the world where we have a very traditional view of what the uh, role of the public sector is, and it dominates everything. You know, the public sector should be doing everything rather than thinking more carefully about the public task. And given limited resources, focusing on the public task and trying to ensure that the public sector, the, the investments made by the public sector are actually very well spent requires that the, the institutions, the National Meteorological Services, really think about whether their role is to expand, to be doing more, um, you know, more competitively with the private sector, or thinking more about whether they could actually enhance their public task and benefit from the existence of the private sector, taking up more of the um, non-public responsibilities for the provision of weather services. Yeah, I mean, Another aspect of this is is often there is a need for clarity in terms of national legislation or regulations about how the the weather enterprise within a country operates. You know, in in terms of thinking about uh, markets, you know, how to create an effective market that really enables both the public and private sector contributors to to effectively make a contribution and to and both to thrive. And it's clear in a number of countries that that clarity um, at a national level, you know, legislation, et cetera, it just doesn't seem to be present at the moment. Yes, and, and you know, there's a lot of thought about whether does legislation matter? And if you, th if you think that legislation can create a statutory authority so that basically the public institution the statutory institution is the National Weather Service. That gives them some kind of something to hold on to in terms of their role in government. I mean, the statutory bodies should be supported, and they're not they're not there to simply be you know uh, they're competing with the private sector or or all the other various things that can happen. But they're actually seen as the authority for the. The discipline, essentially disciplinary authority as a statutory body, then everyone's role and responsibility falls, follows that. And therefore, the legislation is important in helping determine who does what. And rather than the legislation encouraging a sort of isolationist approach and a protectionist approach, uh, to, which is, it has done in the past in many um, countries where the idea is that the legislation is there to protect the public sector, it should be there to encourage all players 
but to make it clear who does what and so to reserve if 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 necessary to reserve the public task to the public body but to also have some statutory authority that enables them to actually be financed and and the fear at the moment in, in i think in many in many countries is that because less and less money is spent on the weather services they feel that they are getting further and further away from being able to deliver on their public task yes in, indeed and <clears throat> i suppose that you know an important we're sort of talking as though in in a way all countries have um these aspects of the weather enterprise you know right from academia through to the public weather service uh, and private companies and of course that's not always the case and particularly in developing countries we've heard in the weather pod that um particularly for example in some countries academia is not well enough supported so that some of the basic training of next generation meteorologists and te technical people uh, that would go on to the, the public sector or, or private sector is not there sufficiently, or some of the longer term research is not, is not being facilitated by, by academia. So there's an amount of capacity building that still, in terms of institutions that are still lacking in certain countries, which I think is came out quite clearly, particularly when we talked to to some of our, our guests um, talking about the African situation, for example. It seems to, I mean, it comes down to whether, whether you know, the governments who are ultimately responsible for their people, uh, do they recognize the importance of weather services yeah. and, the, and the whole weather enterprise? And it is not whether they recognize the public role but whether they recognize how the entire enterprise is going to help them um, manage their economies manage you know, the safety of their inhabitants but also manage the economy itself and i think that's something that not enough is done on that there's a lot of talk about visibility you know we need to make met services more visible and so on but we really need to make it clear what is the actual enterprise there for i mean how what it can do isn't really explained i mean vi talking about visibility rather than talking about what the potential actual real benefits are to society is not clear and 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 i think that's something we we should all be working on yeah no absolutely <clears throat> another aspect which i think um came up in the weather pod quite a bit was and the importance of cooperation i mean we you know obviously in the private sector companies are used to competing with each other and as long as competition is fair and and well regulated that that seems fine <clears throat> but there is re uh, regional cooperation is another aspect which we heard about in the weather pod um both in terms of european collaboration by ecmwf the european center for meteorological weather forecasts and also in south asia with the rhymes initiative where countries have realized that actually coming together and sharing um, the 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 load, if you like, of responsibility and and work, is actually very advantageous to each country individually. And I think that's something that, you know, hopefully, could be built on in other places. Yeah, and I think well, I think the model that has been very well developed in Europe is definitely. Uh, it was discussed recently within the South Asia Hydromet Forum and presented there and. 
the subsequent discussions amongst the Met services of South Asia are that they they see collaboration despite the difficulties they political difficulties that exist amongst many countries they see the benefit of the cooperation and more than cooperation this is actually build things together which is the model of UMetNet and uh, ECMWF but to you know to really start to build a single system in which everybody is contributing and to the best of their ability i mean countries in europe are not all the same size and the same level of ability but when you put them all together there's a certain uh, capability that exists for everyone a high level of capability and i think that's seen in south asia now there's also discussion that you know the same can be emulated in africa and i think this is you know you you need a few very capable countries that are willing to cooperate with others and then the cooperation and the regional investment that's needed this is a challenge i think is how do you how do you get the resources to spend regionally now you, you you could argue that if you have a few rich countries they actually can help under, underpin the financing of it um, but you don't always have that so you have to look for you know regional financing that's coming out of uh, other other sources which is not so obvious where they come from no in, indeed but i guess that, that to sort of um, summarize or to, or to finish this particular issue one thing that I certainly felt in talking to our guests in the weather pod is that individually people as representing their sectors, whether it's academia, public or private sector, they seem to be very uh, keen and motivated to collaborate and to cooperate. Mm. Um, and that that's something that I think is not widely understood. I think perhaps sometimes, for example, people in the public sector think that all the private sector wants to do ever is compete and to and to make profit. Whereas certainly from our conversations in the weather pod, mm. um, all sectors are motivated by, you know, the the benefits of weather information that they're they're producing, you know, saving lives, infrastructure, uh, making economic benefits. question underpinning many of our WeatherPod episodes is how can we ensure that everyone benefits from the weather enterprise? The impact of weather knows no political or geographical boundaries, but the fact is that our capability to observe, analyze, forecast, and serve beneficiaries varies enormously from country to country. So while we're all affected by the weather, it's the lives and livelihoods of people in the developing and least developed parts of the world which are much more vulnerable and exposed. Income disparity is a major limiting factor in the provision of the best possible weather information and in the ability of people to use it to make good decisions. Whilst it's not in the gift of meteorologists to solve, it must be addressed in the way weather services of developing countries are supported. We considered these challenges in our discussions with Jerry Lenguasa and Makota Sua, and also with Sabaya, highlighting many of the issues facing African and Asian meteorological and hydrological services, issues common across almost all developing countries. The top three challenges are related, money, recognition, and qualified staff. Starting with the obvious one, if a developing country has money, then it can provide a good weather service using either government employees or contractors. But without money, the situation is precarious and complex. In either event, recognition of the value of weather services by government and beneficiaries is critical. As we started, we talked about the whole ecosystem. 
And of course, when you learn, look at how do we apply that? How do we look at how it works in developing countries and least developed countries? It's there are some very specific challenges. Now, while we all face limited resources and other problems, it's particularly acute in developing countries. And it's acute because without the right level of financing, it's extremely difficult to provide the services that are needed. And I think we touched on that in a lot of our discussions, particularly about Africa, but it's applicable anywhere. I mean, it's not. And I guess that I guess there's two aspects to this that that are interconnected and relevant. And one is the the financing of the National uh, Meteorological Service, for example, or the the body that's going to be providing the sort of the weather warning kind of thing. But but there's also then the financing that's needed if there is extreme weather. There's a you know, quotes and quotes, a disaster happening. Um, how do you get the finance to enable society to recover from that, that event? And there's sort of obviously, a, they're, they're a little bit different, those two things, but but there is a relationship as well. Yeah, and in fact, it, it, so, it, so that one touches on things like um, forecast-based financing, which is a, a, a really a fascinating application of of weather forecasting and, and particularly in, in developing countries where you use the forecast to determine where you're going to put resources and where you're going to put your financial resources to really prevent a disaster from becoming the result of a, of a hazard. But there is also, that's also related to the issue of what if you have no money to do anything in response to the warnings? And we sometimes forget that. So again, it's a develop more of a developing country issue. So you know, if we issue a warning for a flood in a, a more advanced economy, the chances are you can take action. Not always, but you can take action. But in many developing countries, you can you could provide a very good warning, but you may not be able to do anything. And we've had you know, there's a number of of uh, studies, and we haven't really. We haven't yet actually discussed this with anybody on our weather pod, but hopefully we will uh, in the future. But it's like if you if you don't have the ability to respond, what yeah. do you do? And I think that's all all wrapped up into then if you can't respond, why do you need a better weather service? And these are these are kind of yeah twenty two situations. They they are, and it it, it sort of um, our discussions in the weather pod on this topic have, have sort of triggered in my mind something which I, I think could be a real opportunity and that is you know we we tend to tend to think about disaster disasters um and particularly but not exclusively of course in developing countries and actually weather forecasts for major extreme events are pretty are pretty decent are pretty good these days um but actually it's it's actually the so people's lives are saved. Um, but it's going to be very hard, for example, to, to really avoid property being um, affected badly. And that really then says the real issue is how to have the finance and the infrastructure to, to redevelop your, your you know, the, the, the buildings and all the infrastructure that's needed. And that needs a good, strong economy of that country. And it also needs everyday weather to be well forecast so that the economy can benefit from that information on a, on a day-to-day basis. So there's a kind of link between, you know, the, the, the days when there's extreme weather and there's days when there's just regular weather. Well, I think that's also, it 
I mean, an issue about an individual who's who I mean, an ordinary citizen who who basically can use information on a daily basis is more likely to be using it when it mm -hmm. when it becomes extreme. So the day to day yeah. information is important, and even more so when you think in most developing countries are agricultural economies. That information is vital on a day to day basis, mm -hmm. and it's and it's interesting how in really in many many places that information is discounted it is mm -hmm. not used very well at the present time but as we begin to link um it's sort of insurance types of instruments financial instruments to the weather forecast which is happening and we heard about some of that from from uh, on the weather pod when you start to tie those things together then and again when you apply it to a developing country these are small amounts of money but they make a huge in, impact in terms of livelihood and then maybe sustainable livelihood so when things do go wrong the the you don't lose absolutely everything mm -hmm. and also when you are working day to day trying to make sure that the inputs into your livelihood particularly farming inputs are actually done in an efficient an effective way to minimize your costs so these are these are really important and in a way the weather information is even more important for that purpose because that's happening most of the time yeah and it it, it provides probably the biggest component of the economic benefits that we get from from weather actually i mean one of the things that's related to this that that we talked about in in the weather pod is i mean it's true everywhere but particularly in developing countries is the communication issue of weather information and you know we've heard about in africa how how important um getting information to local communities is um i mean obviously using uh, the mobile cellular phone system is is a is potentially a, a really good opportunity for that but but in general the communication via public broadcasts and others is is increasingly important absolutely and actually the you know we and we just touched on the the, the whole um, relationship between the public and private sector and these are areas where the opportunity to blend information into integrated services so for the farmer they're getting an application which is including the weather information it's not the exclusive information they're getting but they're getting it tied to the pricing of crops and the, uh, of uh, outputs they're getting it tied to the pricing of inputs and so all of these things become then blended together and and so there are there are actually enormous opportunities for uh, the use of weather information far more so than i think we're properly exploiting in in developing countries at the present time yeah i think it it's true across the board that that's increasingly we, we need in the global weather enterprise to to think about our role in the whole economy um and and how to particularly in an era of, of big data and um, and bring together, we need to bring together very diverse data, uh, including weather. It's a multifactorial system in right. a sense. Weather is not the only right. thing that's important, but it is important. So actually that's going to be something that I think the new techniques in, in uh, machine learning and cloud computing, et cetera, right. we'll touch on this later, but I think these will become increasingly dominant and important yeah we can't forget of course that we also need to observe and we need to have co good continuous monitoring of the state of the atmosphere hydrological yeah. system and one of the problems that is 
apparent from from all the work that's done in developing countries is how hard it is to sustain those now again that comes back to resources but it comes back to also the whole notion of of sort of the affordability of of, of observing systems you know making them affordable making not not trying to create not trying to emulate uh, the most advanced countries in the world in terms of their observing networks but having them really fit for purpose making sure what you have is 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 sustainable and also to, to touch on an earlier point about um, regional cooperation I and mean, we cooperate with your neighbors so that you can build a network that maybe your next door neighbor has more capability in some areas or you have more capabilities and can share those so maintaining the observing network which was fundamental in Europe with you, Mennet. Um, but trying to basically do that elsewhere is going to make a difference in terms of the sustainability of uh, of systems, and and that's something we we you know we struggle with all the time in developing countries. And you know, how do we keep keep the system going? So yeah. the you know, the issues of recognition, the legal things we've talked about, all of these things are really important, but also ensuring that the you know, the resources are are used as efficiently as possible. Yeah. Our third issue is the future development of weather science and technology. Central to the development of weather and climate services is the future evolution of science and technology. And many of our guests raised examples of science and technology driving innovation in the global weather enterprise. Florence Rabier revealed a number of exciting developments in global modeling and numerical weather prediction, in particular of the growing role of artificial intelligence, AI, and machine learning. Continuing on this theme, Chen Chen and Doug Rao provided a fascinating glimpse into the application of AI to weather and climate modeling and prediction. Of course, science and technology innovation is taking place not only in weather and climate system modeling, but also in weather observing and impact forecasting. Hannah Cloak discussed how advances in hydrology are improving flood forecasting, while Alberto Troccoli noted that observational data collected by renewable energy companies could be of enormous value for weather prediction. And from the perspective of the developing world, Doug Parker and Marianne Diop Kane explained the importance of making national observations in Africa widely available to help validate global and regional forecasts and to improve modeling. I think it's pretty clear from the contributions we've had and what we know is that there are, we're in a period of, of rapid innovation in, in the global weather enterprise. There's lots of science, new science and technology uh, coming to fruition. That's, you know, some of which has been there in the background, but, but not quite. Um, in, in a sense, becoming mature enough, but now they are. And we've heard quite a bit about that in, in, in the weather pod. And uh, you, you were mentioning observation a minute ago, and um, clearly there's, there's a whole set of uh, ways in which we can observe the atmosphere better, both from space and from the surface, um, that, that hopefully will, will mean we will get many more observations. I mean, we, we tend to be proud of the fact that, that we have lots and lots of observations of, of the weather of the atmosphere and the oceans and the land surface. But in actual fact, relative to what we need in terms of predicting uh, the weather systems, 
we still need a vastly increased volume of, of information, yeah. operational information. One of the things that always sort of comes up with innovation in, in you know, how do you get these new tools out fast enough to really, you know, and, and everywhere, right? Because the, mm. the developments in AI, the things we've heard about, I mean, it's very exciting. I mean, it's an amazing field. And clearly there is, there's a huge potential. And you also want to make sure that, that, you know, that is, is available to everybody, you know, and we talked a lot to you know, different colleagues on, on these topics from around the world. And I'm curious what, you know, like what your views would be about how do we really utilize the knowledge that we're developing in universities and, and, and research centers, and how do we really fast track that into the sort of operational world where there are much weaker um they're you know particularly to the places that have relatively weak r d uh, capabilities but but they you know these tools are amazing if we can get them yeah out. no absolutely i mean i mean it strikes me that that um one of the success stories of of you know some some of the bigger countries in the developed world world now is that there is actually quite a good interconnectivity between university research developments feeding into you know the operational modeling developments and uh, the forecast services in national meteorological services and in the private sector there's actually there's probably quite a, a good story there but it does require all aspects of that particular part of the ecosystem uh, to, to function well to so if we take that over to the developing countries we often see, I think, that there are some broken links in that that chain, if you like, and it can often be the academic side that is, is insufficiently supported to enable a national meteorological service to benefit from some of the uh, new knowledge, but also in terms of the training of, of next generation yeah, yeah. people who are going to be in the national service. So that you know, it, it it's something that we really, I think, came up quite a lot in the, in our weather pod yeah. discussion. And it's it's also a reality um, that not everybody is going to have the same computing resources. And the question is whether you need them. I mean, whether yeah. if you can rely on a few global centers, which you put all of your effort into building their capacity, but you also build a governance structures for them that enable them to make sure that they're sharing information yeah. with everybody who needs it. And and clearly we've got the, and we've, you know, we've heard from the best and, and it would be, one would hope the direction that they're planning to go is actually going to make that happen and, and that it's it's becoming and you know it's, it's it's a global public good in terms of information yeah. services yeah and I, I, you know i think now we've got actually the uh the the cloud computing coming on stream it means that actually for a developing country they they need to think very carefully about whether what they really invest in, because in principle, if we can get this right, they should have access to the highest quality information um, at their fingertips, just as much as a developed country yeah, right, does. Right. Um, but therefore, they need a first. They need to figure out to make sure that does happen, and they can receive that information. But secondly, they need to think carefully. Then, well, if we do have that, we don't need to waste our own resources, in a sense, in having our own modelling. Uh, it might not be necessary, for example. It might be better to put our money into 
you know, training up people who can really understand the the, yeah. the machine learning and the service side of the yeah. applications, really. Yeah, I think that, and that's definitely, we mentioned earlier about uh, South Asia and the community in countries in South Asia are actually thinking about that. The cloud computing, a shared resource for them, but that's a link to the cloud computing uh, ecosystem, for want of a better phrase, yeah. around the world. So that if you've got machines which have the capability to then do the processing you need based on the information you're getting from the products and information you're getting from other centers, um, then at a national level, you you just need the ability to interpret that. You do not need to put massive resources. And it's not sort of like you're getting less than you would otherwise get. You're actually benefiting from that. Yeah. And I think that's that's a, an important direction in this um, of the, the changes in technology capability that that's uh, available today. I mean, just before we leave this topic, it, it just a, a personal reflection on. I mean, obviously, over my and probably your David working life, we've seen a, a huge revolution. I mean, we we've, we've gone from when I started out in this field anyway. The ability to model just a few levels in the vertical in these models and you know grid points in the horizontal maybe several hundred kilometers apart to now we've got hundreds of levels in the vertical in these models representing the atmosphere and also we're within sight really of global models just at the one kilometer by one yeah. kilometer yeah. grid squares and not just that but but actually these models are increasingly building in you know other aspects of, of the earth system so we better representing the land we're representing ocean circulation from day zero in a weather forecasting model um, all of these things are now really coming mature and it to me it's it's an amazing development over the last 40 years that we've yeah. got to this yeah. point yeah. and it's at the point where really the information is getting to the level where it's it's becoming almost down to the level of of individuals and, yeah. and Commun small communities, yeah. whereas before it was just kind of vaguely relevant to a whole country. Climate change is an existential threat to all human society. It's also a wellspring of new opportunities in the transition to a more sustainable future. On the one hand, we must be prepared for more adverse impacts associated with extreme weather events. We discuss forecast-based financing with Catalina Jaime, the impact of climate change on health with Madeleine Thompson, while with Rebecca Leonardi we discussed how weather risk can be ensured. On the other hand, and just as importantly, weather information is crucial to managing the routine day-to-day -day operations of our economies. We discussed this, and in particular the role of meteorology in renewable energy supply, with Alberto Trocoli. Now, if we are to implement the outcomes of COP26 in Glasgow, comply with the Paris Agreement and achieve the UN Sustainable Development Goals and the Sendai Framework for Disaster Risk Reduction, we will need much more from the global weather enterprise. As our guests have highlighted, weather information is crucial to supporting public safety, and it also has a vital role in increasing economic efficiency. We are more familiar with the former, but it is the latter which is becoming more critical as societies transition to net-zero carbon economies. You know, the needs change from being general to a society to being very specific. You really do need to know postcode scale or smaller 
what is actually happening for you to be able to take appropriate action. And I think this this is the, the one we're there almost. Yeah. So it's it's an exciting opportunity. And perhaps the the challenge of climate change is this is really how do we take advantage of it in terms of the exciting opportunities that it presents it is clearly a threat uh, um, from a point of view of the, of the climate emergency but it, but out of that comes opportunity and the opportunity is to provide the kinds of services that will actually make for a much more efficient and effective society and a better protected but a better economically viable one with using less resources in the process because you manage the information systems appropriately and for example we heard about you know the, the sort of the potential in the energy sector well we've got to move away from the idea that everything is completely competitive and everybody's got proprietary information you still have that but you've also got to be able to plan as a government as a society for the availability or lack of availability of energy, we have to be much more uh, careful with our resources. And I think the weather services, weather information, is an integral part of that. Mm. I mean, in, in a sense, you know, we obviously climate change presents societal challenges, but but in a way, for the the weather enterprise, it it presents also a great opportunity mm. because actually, at the adaptation to climate change. Um, again, all of those adaptations typically are, are weather sensitive. So actually, you need to know the details of, you know, the, the wind fields, for example, in, in uh, wind turbine energy generation. We know in, you know, in, in my country, in the, in the UK and in Western Europe, we've had a year where we've had relatively low um, wind speeds integrated over the year. And that, that has meant a, a significant challenge for the, the wind turbine community and, and the, the amount of electricity that we get from that source. So, so actually, the more you think about it, the more um, in the new economy, if we can call it that, where, you know, we're going to have to be decarbonizing and, um, and where we need to cope with these environmental changes, weather information doesn't become less important, it actually becomes more important. Absolutely. And uh, it, it's, for us, I think it's for our community. It's it's a real opportunity, and I, I think the the challenge is this shift. Uh, again, we've touched on it already, but it's the shift from weather information is only for disaster reduction, <laughs> uh, and that's uh, clearly that's extremely important, and will continue. And we are going to have more threats. We're definitely yes. going to, to kind of ex experience far more extremes. And as you've said, you know, we're pretty good at those kinds of forecasts. But we haven't, I don't think we're as convincing yet that you know, the entire economy, the resilience of the economy depends upon the day-to-day -day information that's available. And it has to be at the appropriate scales. It has to be able to influence pretty much everything in society. If everything becomes decarbonized, you realize how much of society depends mm, yeah. on the vagaries of of the environment around it and whether it's a nature-based solution for a problem uh, you know you might be planting trees but if you haven't got the climatological information and the understanding of the changes longer term changes you may find 10 years from now that they're all dead simply yeah. because you yeah. planted them in the wrong place or you chose the wrong species and so on and so on it's an integral part of every almost every decision that we will will be making and i, I think that's the that's the 
exciting prospect. And one of our jobs, of course, is to convince those who are uh, developing and, and thinking about engineering the future society to make sure that that information is there. Yeah. I, I, just a, a quick follow-up to that. It, it, it's become apparent, I think, during our discussions in, in the weather pod on this subject. And that is that increasingly we, as a, as a meteorological community, if you like, we've got to be much more knowledgeable and, and savvy about, about the, the economic aspects of mm. how society runs. And, you know, it's not, it's not good enough just to say, well, um, you know, we do a, a you know, a, a cost benefits analysis on, on weather information. Um, and that gives us a, a, a figure for what the economic impact is. We've got to really be much smarter than that and think about, well, actually, in nearly all cases, weather is is there. It may be one of several factors that, that are there, but those all need to be factored into how we calculate and, and understand how that flows through to economic benefit. And that, that's quite a sophisticated thing that I, at least I hope, we can encourage economists to, to work with us to, to really make that case more cogent. Well, I, I was quite fascinated when we were talking about um, sort of economics and meteorology in, in the weather pod, where we, you know, when you build, if you build a decision model, so you, you really have to understand what decisions, what decisions the potential beneficiary of the weather information are making mm. and you build it together. So you really, it changes this thinking about, we just provide a service, a weather service, but now we're providing we're going one big step, maybe multiple steps beyond that, yeah. where we're really working to actually build the build the decision support system appropriately. And and there is, you know, we have seen good examples of that. There are not enough of them, but mm. that probably is the way to go. So the, it's not about simply, you know, the value of a uh, the the losses in in society, but it's actually testing this through the right kind of models of how decisions are made and the, and and of course decisions are strongly influenced by many many factors and of course one will be be weather so and and that this provides you know a, a challenge in a sense to uh, to national meteorological services to come to to link back to our first issue that we discussed because that that certainly from my perspective there's been a bit of a tendency in in certain national weather services to, to want to, in a sense, do all of this kind of work of, of you know, bigger inter integrated services, because we try to do it in-house themselves, where, where really that's not an efficient use of, mm. of their expertise and knowledge, but it means they really have to stretch, reach out to work in a much more cooperative way and, and with others who, who do have those yeah. capabilities. Right. And that that's, that's a different way to operate your 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 business in a way yeah. as a national weather service, but it doesn't. It's not a threat it, to me anyway. It's, it feels like an opportunity. Absolutely, I think. I mean, from a, from a running a weather service perspective, it's first of all the core function is the meteorology, hmm. and you need to do that really well. Um, if you're trying to build a program with the health sector, for example, well, the core business of the health sector is health. And then there's this interface between the two, 
and that's where both need either new skills or or some some way of coming together and it's often a new set of skills right people who are actually are able to exploit the weather information from the health and pretty much since you're providing a service to a sector it's from that sector that they're drawing that information so they have to become versed in the basics of how to utilize the information but not become the experts in in meteorology and at the same time the expert in meteorology does not need to be an expert in in the health services but i mean it, it's it touches very much also on that you know the whole movement towards multidisciplinary even within you know the the mm. uh, the scientific aspects of in universities etc i mean the, the training of 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 meteorologists i certainly needs to factor in the multidisciplinary aspects it's not just physics chem it's chemistry mm. it's biology it's but increasingly it's other aspects of society like mm. social behavioral sciences economic mm. sciences yeah. etc and and that's probably another topic because <laughs> yeah, it's a it's huge, a... but from an academic point of view it's a huge challenge because when you talk to you know talk about multidisciplinary that's not necessarily the way you become a tenured professor no indeed and so that's a real a real issue but yeah. perhaps we've we've come to the end of what we've done so far in the weather plot but yeah. i hope that we will explore some of these linked topics in future weather pods so. yeah and, and i think one one certainly in our immediate near future i think we'll we'll definitely be talking more about uh, decarbonization and the future yeah. economy the new economy yeah absolutely david I, I this is a good point i think now we've discussed our our, our four main themes from the, the weather pod think about the future a bit and what kind of uh, areas we we hope to to cover in the future what what initial thoughts do you have on that well i, I think clearly I mean, based on our, our last uh, discussion um on decarbonization the new economy and so on i think clearly this is a, a direction of travel for the community we we know we're going to need far more from the weather enterprise and so what is it that we are expecting? I mean, more observations, more capability in terms of forecasting, more integrated services. I mean, there's a plethora of things that we can think about and hopefully we will have guests who are going to um, fit meet that challenge for us. Yes, and I, I suppose one of the areas that, that we need to think about is is linking across it, it you know the new economy idea which is really the fact that the weather information is going to be needed but it's also going to be used to, in association with other digital data uh, about the way society operates to to be effective so that's the, the heart of this integrated services thinking i'm sure we're going to want to explore that um we're probably also going to want to talk i hope we can talk to one or two economists because uh, in a way, we need to reach out to other communities in, in society um, as, as the development of decarbonized initiatives take place to, to make sure everyone has a good understanding of what the potential benefits and role of weather information could be. And I come back to the um, integrated services. This isn't, is a complicated area because I think we've, you know, we've blissfully been living in a world in which uh, we provide 
tailored weather information and i think a lot still think that way that it's it's you know we have the control we provide the information but really it's one part and sometimes a small part of the decision process and the ability to build the right kind of decision models the decision support systems is really going to be critical but this is also going to come down to how we share information, how do we share data? And I still think, you know, based upon the discussions we've had with with colleagues, uh, this is going to continue to be a challenge. Maybe it'll be more of a challenge with the private sector not sharing information, which will make it difficult to build those decision support systems effectively. So this is yeah. something else we have to get into, I think. Yeah, and that, that there's the actual issue of people being prepared to share data, but there's also the issue of making sure that data gets into the hands of those that need it. And I think this is where, you know, the cloud technologies of the future will be something, you know, that should be an enabler, particularly for developing countries, well, all countries actually, um, so that they do get access to the highest quality information uh, when they need it. And uh, an another area I think that that has come up that, that I'm interested in anyway is, and, and I think is gonna be important, is that weather information is used every day to help businesses and society operate. And, and this is outside of the, the sort of extreme weather situations. Mm. This is just everyday weather, if you like, used um, to, to help often with other data, but to help businesses operate and to help society work. And that, again, is something that perhaps we don't, we don't discuss widely enough. We tend to inevitably be focused on the saving lives and the weather warnings and the extreme weather events. I think that, no, that's, that's really, really important. And, and it's particularly if, you know, the little that we know about what to expect from our new economy, it's going to be much more sensitive. And, and so day-to-day -day decisions, the sensitive in the sense that you want it to be efficient so every decision a farmer makes, every decision that an energy supplier makes or a user of energy makes needs to be done as efficiently as possible to minimize the waste wastage. And you know, we, we may not have the margins that we currently have uh, with our current economy to be able to um, it, you know, run it in a, in a less than perfect way. It'll have to become much closer to an optimal solution. And, and that's going to be a real challenge, an exciting one at that, but it's still a big challenge. Mm, absolutely. So I think we've got some very interesting areas to cover with our guests coming up in the weather pod. So I hope our our uh, listeners and viewers will will look forward to those future weather pod episodes. Yes, absolutely. I'm certainly looking forward to it. Me too. <laughs> okay, thanks. Dave.